Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Excited to have you with us here watching uh, anywhere around the world uh, or listening uh, to an archive, whatever the case may be. You can watch it live on our YouTube channel at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, It's easy to go to rickandbubba.com, click on the YouTube channel, and if you'll subscribe, you'll get an alert every time we have something new happening, including uh, this Bible study. It's also archived, so you may be watching the archive of it on the YouTube channel, and we also give an audio archive uh, every uh, every Wednesday as well that is found on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel if you prefer. If you'd like to go back and catch past Bible studies, uh, we have been doing this, uh, like I said, we're in our 10th year doing this. Uh, we have archives galore. They're audio only at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on Listen, and you'll see Men's Bible Study there. Click on that, and you can actually scroll through all the books of the Bible we have covered, some of the books and commentary that we've covered. Uh, They are all there if you so desire. And if you get behind on this Bible study, it's also a good place to go catch up. You can catch the archives on the YouTube channel too, but sometimes they're a little more difficult to search. Uh, But it is available to you. So this uh, Bible study is, is part of an ongoing strategy. Uh, that we were working on. It's uh, my local church uh, for uh, just about seven years. We were kind of working on this and that and the gatherings and then the curriculum, and and we developed this high-challenge, high-equipping strategy from Scripture uh, that takes men and, and challenges uh, us but also equips us uh, to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And if you'd like to find out about that strategy, we launched it nationwide uh, on March 1 of 2020, uh, something happened then. Oh, it was a worldwide pandemic. But uh, so we learned also to do this online. It can be done in person. It can be done via Zoom. Uh, we're more than happy to help you any way we can. All those resources and that strategy can be found at themanchurch.com. Uh, we have our first conference coming this year. It is sold out. So looking forward to seeing all of you that will be attending. Uh, but if you'd like to find some man churches near you, that's part of our high challenge. Uh, that's part of the um, uh, the gathering of the men of the local church and the local community uh, in services that are designed for them, and then out of those services into the equipping. Uh, and that is, of course, our curriculum. We have three curriculum. Our fourth comes out uh, this year, uh, and you can uh, take those. And I mean, right now, if you started with our strategy, we would have you covered with curriculum for four years. Uh, that your men would uh, know what to do. It would already be plugged in, and that curriculum takes them on a much deeper dive. A couple of man churches where you could plug in uh, near you this week. Coming up on uh, Saturday the 28th, Jordy Henson will be out teaching and challenging men at First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. They're doing our strategy. This is their second year, uh, so he'll be here for their next man church. I will be in Jackson, Alabama the same day, but I won't really be there. Uh, it's, we also offer a kickoff package. If you're a church and you're like, I'm never going to get Burgess. I can't get you booked. I can't get you down here. Uh, the, the, the schedule's covered uh, and you'd like for me to come and kick it off. It's also something you could do that's less expensive sometimes than paying honorariums to men to come and speak. Uh, it is a video where I will do the message via video. I'll lay out the strategy, exactly how it works. Give the men a big high challenge message, and then I'll give them to you for you to plug them into the curriculum. And First Baptist Church, Jackson, Alabama, is doing that on Saturday. So looking forward to that. Looking to next Sunday night, First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, part of our team, Rich Wingo, uh, runs the men's ministry there, and uh, he's invited to be back to do their next man church. They'll feed you. Uh, at 5 o'clock, a free meal, and then we'll do the service at 6 in Tuscaloosa on February the 5th, First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa. All right, so let's uh, open up uh, in a word of prayer, 
and that we'll jump in to the next step through the Revelation. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Those of us in the room, and I'm just so thankful for these men that are so loyal that make this a priority. Some of them have been here the entire time we've been doing this. Others have joined us over the years and solidified themselves. Some are visiting for the first time. Uh, but we, I'm so thankful you've brought them here. Uh, one of the most loyal attenders of this Bible study, especially in the last few years, is Tom Haney. And uh, Tom, I know um, he, he had a struggle today with his eyesight, uh, which he couldn't figure out why he couldn't see well. Had to be taken to the emergency, uh, emergency room at an eye clinic, uh, and they are, are working on his sight. They do think it's nothing serious. Praise God, Lord, uh, you for that. But will you continue to be with him to restore his sight uh, and help him to, to recover? Uh, we as his brothers pray with him and to you about this, Lord. And as we unpack your word, there's so many things going on with all the lives that are represented here in the room and around the world. Uh, may we hear what you Expect us to hear, Lord, what you intended us to hear. Uh, I am woefully inadequate to unpack this truth. Help me, Lord, uh, to filter it through your Holy Spirit so that uh, it is not only taught clearly coming from the teacher, but is also received clearly and properly in in a, a discerning heart that is also covered in your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're doing the, the 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 letters to the church, and we're going. I mean, we're we're going. This is going to be a pep rally today. So we're talking now. Jesus is telling John, "I want this next letter to go to the church at Smyrna." So let's talk about Smyrna a little bit. We're going to learn a lot about Smyrna today. Uh, first of all, remember the three views. I won't review those completely, but uh, the three views about the seven letters. If, if you're looking at Smyrna, and the view is it was a church that was going through something in the time that John received the revelation from Christ, and it was going to that particular church, we're about to see a fearful church, a church that's in fear. It's being, it, it's under major persecution. Uh, there's been some blasphemy slip into the church, so they're fearful. So, so, so that, that would have been that church at that time. If you're looking at it as a church that was a specific church, but but Christ intends for it to be for any church at any time that may be in this situation. You would see it as a church where the blasphemy comes in. They, they're starting to lean on ritualism. Uh, they're, they're starting to lean on rituals that, that are not appropriate, uh, and it also would be that because you're leaning on these rituals uh, that, you, that, that you are now uh, at odds with, with the God that we serve and there's correction that needs to be made. If you're looking at the third view, which is the different ages of the history of the church, this would be the age of that persecution that I talked about last week where, I mean, the, the church is under heavy persecution, and this is that period of time uh, when when persecution was coming from all the emperors of the Roman Empire after the church in, at that moment in history. And really, that, that, that is true no matter how you see it. Okay, so that is what was going on. Uh, so we, we look at what is Smyrna. It was a, it was a very ancient city. Uh, it, it was it, they the, the the historians say they thought it was settled maybe around 3000 BC. There there were people trying to settle it as far back as that, but the more clear records they say maybe a more accurate thing that we actually can find some records on is it was a Greek settlement somewhere around a thousand BC. That one has more evidence, uh, and then um, in 600 BC uh, the Lydians came in and they laid it to waste. I mean. 
and it laid there in ruins for about three centuries. Okay, I mean, it was just wiped out. Uh, Alexander the Great's successor rebuilt the city in, in 290 B.C., and uh, this was the city that was standing at the time of this revelation from Jesus to John. Uh, th- this is that exact same city that Alexander the Great's successor rebuilt. Uh, so this is the Smyrna of John's day. Everybody with me? Now, let me tell you about Smyrna. Smyrna was a staunch ally to the Roman Empire. They loved the Roman Empire. That's going to be why we're going to see some persecution come, because it's not very popular to plant a church where everybody's worshiping Rome. So uh, they, they built a temple in 195 B.C., and at this temple, all they did was worship Rome. They worshiped the Roman Empire. So that, that made the Roman emperors really like them a lot, that they were they worshiped Rome. Their loyalty was rewarded by Rome. Rome came in and built a temple dedicated to Emperor Tiberius. That happened in A.D. 26. That was kind of like the Roman Empire saying, we want to reward you for being so loyal to the Roman Empire. We're going to build you a temple right here so you can worship worship Tiberius. So that that's the kind of culture uh, that was going on. Now, an earthquake... Uh, took it out uh, in the late 2nd century. Maybe building that temple was not so wonderful. Uh, but now here comes the name. How many of you raise your hand in, in here and all across, across the country? How many of you have watched the movie Gladiator? Anybody remember Marcus Aurelius? Well, here he comes. So Marcus Aurelius, uh, the emperor, actually rebuilt it, and, um, and he is going to, uh, to be the one uh, that the church at Smyrna is going to have to deal with uh, at the time that this letter was written. So everybody got it? Uh, so we're, let, let's talk about um, what, what's going on in the actual church at Smyrna. So keep in mind, Roman Empire, church that's loyal to the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, like all the emperors, not a big fan of sharing his glory with anybody else, uh, and so the church is, is, is struggling under persecution. And here's what Jesus says to John and to the leaders of the church in Smyrna. He says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is in Revelation 2, I'm in verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are actually a synagogue of Satan. Okay? Uh, so, so here we go. Um, th- this is Jesus right out of the gate talking uh, to the church at Smyrna, and, and he's starting out saying, first of all, which is really cool, he, he starts out by telling them uh, who he is. He's saying the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So let me give you my resume. Uh, I want them to know, John, that what you're about to send to them was a revelation from me, their Lord, their Savior. I'm the one. And keep in mind, this is something that we have have to understand that is a great comfort. What Jesus is letting us know, and everybody here needs to know it, when you're struggling and you belong to Jesus— what he wants you to know is I'm not unaware of it, okay? Keep in mind that I'm with you. I know what's going on. There's nothing going on in your life that, uh, that I'm sitting, uh, that Jesus is, you know, minding his business, and an angel walks and says, you're not going to believe what's going on with Burgess. 
And uh, the, the, Jesus is fully aware whatever you're going through, he knows it. Okay, and he says, I, I know that tribulation. I know your poverty. Now, the reason why he's putting in here that, 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 that they're rich, they are actually a wealthy church and are living in a very wealthy city. I mean, it is a happening city. But what he's saying is the poverty that, that, I, that I'm seeing right now is spiritual poverty. Okay? And, and of course, this is not, now, don't, don't, some of you that know a little bit about the Revelation, this is different than what's going to be said to the church at Laodicea. What, what, what he is saying there is you guys are letting some stuff creep in. When we get to Laodicea, that's a delusional church. What's happening here is he says, I know that things are not going well, even though you, you have much wealth. We have got some blasphemy that has crept into the church, and I'm aware of it, and I know the ones who are doing it. And, and he uses a word here, slander, and we, we have here in, um, in English, this is the Greek word for blasphemy. That would be another word we could use here. So this is not a mild statement that Jesus is saying. And I think that's important because I think we are, if there's one thing that I could say about the state of a lot of Western churches is that I think about the Church of Acts, and, and it says in the Church of Acts early on that they were in continuous awe of God. They were, I mean, they didn't, and I think sometimes the Western church, we've lost being in awe of God. We've lost the fear of God. We, we get kind of casual, you know, with, with how things go, and we don't understand that some of the things that we are kind of glossing over are actually blasphemy, and we can't let that stand. And in this case, that's what Jesus wants this church to know. What's going on is slander against me. It's just not bad behavior. It's not just I prefer. Are we kind of lost our way a little bit, or you know, we don't, you know, we, no. This is slander, and it needs to be taken very serious. And here's what he said. He said, "I know your tribulation. That's the persecution they're under. I know your poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan." Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is there were Jews, you know, this remember, we're taking the Jews and the Gentiles and, and, and we're trying to merge all this together into one church, which was always a problem. We remember our study of, uh, of Acts, the Jerusalem Council, remember that? It was a mess. I mean, we're trying to merge these two churches. The Jews are saying they got to be circumcised. Over here, the Gentiles are saying we don't want to let go of all of our pagan rituals. And then, you know, Peter couldn't get it done. John couldn't get it done. Paul couldn't get it done. And then they sent for James. And, and when James showed up, it says nobody opposed him. Remember us studying that? So everybody needs a James uh, to come into the church. Uh, when he showed up, everybody stopped bickering. And then what did he say? They don't have to be circumcised, but y'all are going to cut out these pagan rituals. We're not doing that anymore either. And he laid out what we're going to do and not do, and he left it and said that's how we're going to do it. Well, that, that not everybody embraced that, and, and still there was some stuff going on. So what we had is he says these Jews may be pretending to be God's people, but they're actually representing Satan. What were they doing? Well, what they were doing is they were going in, and they wanted to take some of the, the Judaism that they had always practiced, and then they wanted to combine it, acting like that the new covenant still required a lot of the things that were required under the old uh, Jewish customs. 
And, and they were trying to mix that in with the new covenant. Now, Paul himself said that, uh, that there, there were two systems. And remember, Paul said this over and over again. He said, having to keep the law and the law being fulfilled, these two worlds cannot coexist. Remember him saying that? He said, these are two completely different systems, and they can't be merged. We either believe in the new covenant or we don't. Uh, and, and, and it was saying we want to have what? A reverence for the law, which comes from our redemption. We want to, be, we want to celebrate, our, uh, and, and our obedience comes from love now, not from a works-based uh, justification. Well, these Jewish people in the church, they were saying no works-based salvation is still in play. Now, here's the part that if you look at the history of this that was even bigger, the reason why Jesus is so upset is they were p- preaching a works-based faith, law-keeping, ritualism, and, and, and they were hanging on to some of the Judaistic error. Now, there's certain things in Judaism that, uh, that is good. They're good things. One, you know, God is who he says he is and all that. But what he's saying is, no, no, part of what they want you all to hang on to, I have fulfilled, and to say I haven't fulfilled it is slander against me, that somehow you're still under some works-based faith faith as opposed to I make you fully righteous you're being told you got to keep the law perfectly to be fully righteous and I've already made it clear when I was with you that's impossible that's why you need me so to say you don't need me is slander against me so it can't this is actually a synagogue of Satan because what does he want that to be burdensome and us just say well I guess this is what we got to do and and so they're mutually exclusive and so plus don't miss this Jesus knows their heart. He says they're not really one of us. They're actually double agents for the Roman Empire. The reason why this persecution is coming on y'all is they're coming in there pretending to be part of the church, and they're going and telling on you. They're going to the Roman Empire saying, well, let me tell you what they're preaching. They're preaching that that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that he alone should be worshipped. Why? Because they didn't really believe it. They're actually, remember this, when Paul told us that the two systems were mutually exclusive, y'all do realize that's when he was persecuting the church. He, he was not a believer either. He was saying as a Jewish person, this, the way, these Christians, we can't let this stand because what they believe is in conflict with what we believe. They can't be shared. That's when he said that. So that's what these Jewish people actually still believed, and they were pretending to be part of the church while inside of it trying to destroy it. And so that's why Jesus is saying, watch out for these people now. They're, they're not representing me. They're representing Satan, and you need to get rid of them. One of these things I know that's not very popular anymore, church discipline. Sometimes when people are undermining the church, you're not getting rid of those people because you know somehow you're superior to them or that you didn't need to be and I didn't need to be redeemed just like they need to be redeemed. The reason why you remove people from the church is to purify it. If they're there to undermine the church, and as Paul said to the church at, at, at Corinth, it may save their life if you'll throw them from the church and turn them over to Satan. If they stay in the church, as Jesus warned about leaven, Jesus warned about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, you know, in Matthew talks about this. He said, "You know, I was there when Jesus told us be careful of letting the Pharisees and the Sadducees get so into our belief system that we get the wrong Jesus." So this is what is happening. 
And, and so this was what was leading to a lot of the persecution by the Romans because, let's call it, nobody likes a tattletale. But that's what they were doing. And that's why he says very strong words. Do y'all realize how strong it is for Jesus Christ to call you a synagogue of Satan? That's, that's quite the indictment. And he's saying that's why this must be taken so very serious. Then he goes on. Then he tells them that because of this, what's happening? Here comes persecution. This is that moment again. I think about this all the time when Jesus is with Peter and, and, and Jesus gives him the talk that, uh, that he's about to be sifted by Satan. And he tells him that's coming. Here is Jesus Christ saying, I got to tell you, my, my, Satan is petitioning my father to sift you, to see if you're the real deal. And then Jesus says, and I'm praying for you, uh, why not let it happen? Why don't you step in and save me from this? Hey, I'm praying for you. Hope you pass the test. Hope you come through. And even though Peter didn't, that first test, he ultimately was reconciled by Jesus back to himself, and he passed it after that. Once he got the Holy Spirit, Peter didn't fail test anymore. Okay? So, so when, when you look at this, he's saying in 10, this is not what you wanted to hear. Picture the letter being read, because that's how they did them. Picture this letter being read. And you hear, oh, man, he's, he's calling out these Jewish people. we gotta, we got to tend to this. And, and you're just waiting for the next thing he says. And then he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Excuse What? I, I, I wanted to hear do not fear because I'm going to protect you from it. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And here it comes. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. Well, you can you really feel a silence fall over the room, can't you? See, there's a lot of churches out there right now that preach heresy. And what they want you to hear is if somehow you'll just do enough things and do enough rituals and pray enough prayers and claim and name, you can just get God to do all kinds of things for you, as if he answers to us. And suffering only comes to those that don't have enough faith. Is anybody ready to say that the Apostle Paul didn't have enough faith? Go read 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 today. You'll be like, my goodness. Did, did God ever give this guy a break? What did Ananias say to the Apostle Paul when he showed up after, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? What did he tell Ananias to go tell Paul? Tell him all the things he must suffer for me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. If anybody wants to be my disciple, that's what you're going to have to do. Do you, do you, you think the church that, that, that Peter's writing to in 1 Peter that's getting persecuted and Nero's hanging people on, and making a light up the streets. You think all those people were just horrible people, didn't have enough faith? No. Here he is again saying, I'm identifying the problem. We need to eradicate the problem, but it is going to bring tribulation on you. And some of you, the devil is coming after some of you and is going to throw some of you in prison. Are you ready for this? I know people don't like it. Is there anybody that the devil can throw in prison without God saying, I'll allow it? No. We see this in the story of Job. Satan's being told everything he can and can't do. So who's got him on a leash? God. So why does he allow it to happen? 
to test us. Is one I told you that. I mean, there's the, the, he's not silent on this to humble us, to refine us, to make us holy, to get us in a better, more intimate relationship with Him. We re, where we realize how wonderful He is and how sinful we are. So he says, this is coming, and some of you will be thrown into prison that you may be tested. Why are they throwing them in prison, Rick? It says right here in Scripture that they may be tested. I'm about to give you a story of a guy that passed the test with flying colors. Polycarp, he's the bishop of Smyrna. He's about to get tortured. So, so anyway, um, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So, that, so think about that. He even tells you, I'm in charge of how long it's going to go. Ten days it's going to go. And then he says what? Ten days. And then he says to what why, What he wants. This is how we pass the test. Are you ready? These are beautiful words. And we all need to hear them, especially me. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't fail me. Pass the test. So how many of you have ever heard of Polycarp? Uh, first person that ever talked to me about Polycarp, uh, I remember was um, uh, was Charles Billingsley. He and I have done a number of conferences together, and he said, "You ever heard of Polycarp?" And I said, "What Polycarp?" And 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 he's and, and we talked about this historic moment in history. And I, I wish I could give the guy credit. There's a there's a well. Let me get through this, and then there's a famous statement that happens here. And that's what this guy's book's called, and then I'll give it to you. But if I do it now, it'll give it away. So let me build it up. So Polycarp, 86 years old, uh, he is the bishop of the church at Smyrna. Well, now that the tattletales have been going to the Roman Empire, they said, we got to take the bishop out. But he's 86. So, so they go to get him, and honestly, the Roman soldiers, and even Marcus Aurelius, they don't want to kill him. What they want to do is scare him. So they want Polycarp to just denounce Jesus. That's all we need from you. And if you'll just denounce Jesus, we're going to leave you alone. You can go back and do what you want to do. But we're going to stop all this, that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he should be worship above me. All that's going to stop. And you know what they called the church? Atheist. That's what the Roman Empire called them, because they didn't believe in any of the Roman gods. Isn't that funny? They were called atheists. Now, Polycarp's going to switch that on them and really upset some people. But, but anyway, so, so they go to get Polycarp. Now, they, there's a time in the beginning that Polycarp tries to flee them, and he finally comes to the conclusion that God is, is, is not, I'm, I'm actually in rebellion. I'm just going to go with them because everywhere I go, they find me. Okay? So some people tried to hide him, and, and that was cool. But eventually, he, he gives in, and he says, you know, y'all got me. I'm going to go with you. All I ask from you, now he's 86 years old. He said, all I ask from you is y'all let me pray for an hour before you take me. And they do. His prayer was so powerful that he prayed for two hours, not one, and they didn't interrupt him, and some of the soldiers repented for grabbing him and, and said, we don't want to take you. And they begin to ask about Christ, and they begin to come to Christ. But they still got to, they're not quite strong enough in their faith that they're going to face persecution from Marcus Aurelius. So they're saying, but we still got to take you. So they're all thinking, we'll find a way out for Polycarp where he won't be killed. So they take him in. Uh, the prayer, like I said, was so, so powerful. 
Uh, and then they tried to convince him, look, as they're taking him, the captors, just do what they asked you. You don't even have to believe it. We don't even believe it. Just do it. We don't want to see. We don't want to be part of killing some 86-year-old man. Well, you can probably guess how that's going to go. But so so he he did not he he turned to his captors and this is from historic documents and the people that were witnesses. He said I shall not do as you advise me. Well, he finally frustrated them to the point because he wouldn't listen to them. They said, all right, we'll just take you in there then. We'll give you exactly what you want. Okay, so so he goes in, and it come, to make a long story short, the bottom line is he is sentenced to go into the stadium. And Marcus Aurelius at first and the pro-council, they wanted to get him eaten by animals. But this is just to scare him. They think he's going to reject Jesus, okay? Well, the animal guy says, man, we've been killing Christians all day, and the animals are full. They're not going to attack you. So they said, okay, we'll burn him. We'll, we'll burn him on the stake. And so they get all that set up for Polycarp. And the proconsul says, and this is where it starts with, with him. They say, Polycarp, tell the atheist, and they mean the Christians, that they need to get out of, of Rome. Well, Polycarp, ter- Polycarp turns to all the Romans and says, all you atheists need to get out of Rome. Well, that upset everybody because now he's calling them atheists because they rejected Christ, and what they meant is for him to call all the Christ followers atheists, and he reversed them. They didn't like that. So then the proconsul continued, and they said, swear and I will let you go. Reproach Christ. Reject Christ. Polycarp turned to the proconsul and boldly declared this. I love this. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How in the world could I ever blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul did not like that. They urged him again. Keep in mind. They don't want bad PR. They don't want to kill some 86-year-old man. They're trying to give him outs, but here's the deal. Reproaching Christ is not an out for us. If you want to give us an out, then you got to take that off the table. So the proconsul urged him again, swear by the fortune of Caesar. But Polycarp replied, since you vainly think that I will swear by the fortune of Caesar, as you say, and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a follower of Christ. I am a Christian. The proconsul threatened, I'll have wild beasts and I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, Call them. For we cannot repent from what is better to what is worse. But it is noble to turn from what is evil and turn to what is righteous. You want me to downgrade my life? by reproaching Jesus over what you're going to give me in return to live a life after blaspheming him? That's from going to better to worse. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you rejected Christ to live another day that you've actually chosen something worse? I hope you do, because that's the truth. So they threatened him again with fire. Because remember, I told you, they tried to go. The wild beast guy kept it said, wild beast is out. We, they're full. They're not, that ain't going to work. 
So then they said uh, with fire, but he responded, and this is good. This is, by the way, no, this is when you know you're going to die, okay? You threaten me with a fire that burns an hour and soon will be quenched, for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment stored up for all the ungodly. Why do you keep delaying this? Do what you want. You know what he said? Oh, the fire y'all going to put me in? In an hour, I'll be dead. But the fire that's coming for you is eternal. You got that kind of boldness? I mean, right now, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the government has you ready to go. And if you don't renounce Christ, we're going to burn you. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're going to burn you. So finally, uh, they sent a herald. You know how they get in the middle of the stadium and announce, Polycarp, you know, they call it out to the whole stadium. And people that were there, they said that the, the crowd was so loud you couldn't even talk to a person. That's important for what's about to happen next. Because they said that a voice, to this day, no one knows where it came from. But it was so loud that everybody heard it. And the voice said, Polycarp, show yourself a man. Many historians says, I don't know who could have said it that loud other than God himself, because this stadium was rocking, and it was packed. And we all heard clearly, Polycarp, show yourself a man. And that's exactly what he's saying to all of us. Be a man. Stand up for me. Don't cower. Don't whine. Don't sniffle. Don't roll up in the fetal position. You stand against all who oppose me because that's who they oppose. They don't oppose you. They oppose me. And if you stand up for me, then you've done the right thing no matter what they do to you because ultimately I'll give you eternity. Show yourself a man, Polycarp. So he, they started shouting for him to be burned. Polycarp undressed and climbed up onto the fire, I mean the, the wood they had there. Now what they normally do is they'll nail you to it so you don't frail around when the fire starts burning you. They'll nail you to it so that, you know, because it, it, they, they don't like you walling around, falling around as the fire is burning you. Polycarp tells them this, leave me like this. He who gives me to endure the fire will also give me the strength to remain on the fire without your security from the nails. I ain't going to move. I will supernaturally not move. Don't nail me. You ain't got to worry about me frailing around. And then as they prepared to light the fire, here's what he prayed. O Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and powers in all creation and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you, I bless you that you have considered me worthy of this day and hour to receive a part in the number of the martyrs in the cup of yours, Christ, for the resurrection to eternal life both of the soul and of the body and the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. Among them I may be welcomed before you today 
by a fat and acceptable sacrifice, just as you previously prepared and made known, and you fulfilled the deceitless and true God. Because of this, I will not move. Hey, Lord, thank you for considering me worthy to be burned for you. I know you'll give me the strength to endure it, and then what's waiting on me is my reward. I'll be given the crown of the martyrs. And I look forward to them welcoming me into your presence. Show yourself a man, Polycarp. So he says, for all things, this was his closing, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be glory to you with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. Light it up, boys. Now, here's what you will not believe. This has been disputed, but we do know this is how he was finally killed. When they lit the fire after his prayer, the fire sprang up quickly, but it would not touch him. They said when you looked in, it's like an arch, like you've been to a wedding and they put the bride and groom under an arch. Like the fire formed an arch around him and didn't touch him. He wasn't burning. And then what normally the stench of a human being burning, people said it started to smell like a bakery, like somebody cooking fresh bread started to be the aroma in the stadium. This freaked out the Romans so much that they commanded an executioner to come in with a spear and run it through him, and a great quantity of blood came out and extinguished the fire. And he died. Show yourself a man, Polycarp. I'm thank you, Lord, for considering me worthy. At 86 years old, as the bishop of a church plant in Smyrna, that they'd burn me. So I can glorify you. You think anybody who was there forgot that? You think when you got back to work on Monday, did y'all go to the polycarp thing? Did you see that? You, you, how many people do you think were impacted by that? See, and that, that's the reason why Jesus is talking to this church and the reason why he keeps telling them, I'm going to allow you to be thrown in prison. I'm going to give 10 days of tribulation to these people because I want them to see how you respond. I want them to see how you glorify me. You've heard us say this a thousand times. Sometimes we're allowed to suffer for the benefit of somebody else. It's always for our benefit because it grows us, it refines us, it humbles us. But many times, I can tell you this, and, and, and I'm, I, I'm nowhere near a polycarp, don't misunderstand me, but because of the platform that God has afforded me, and there's been more than anybody knows, but there's been two public persecutions and, and, and sufferings that my family has gone through publicly. And there, look, we got other stuff that wasn't as public that can be as hard or whatever, but, but there were two moments, and I can't tell you the number of people that I meet on a regular basis 
that says, I, I didn't know really if you were the real deal or not. I really didn't know if this claim you had of Christ was something that was cultural. Was it something that you thought was mod? There's some people, I don't know where these people come from, that think it helps our business. It doesn't help our business. I promise you. But they, they think, they, oh, you do that because it helps your business. You must not be a follower of Christ. Everybody that wants to do business with us would wish we would shut up about Christ. It would make They would advertise much more comfortably. Uh, go read their websites. You're like, well, they don't really believe what Rick and Bubba believe. No, they don't. They like ratings and revenue. Uh, but, but anyway, so um, I could be on many more stations and have a much larger, larger audience if I would renounce Jesus. But, but anyway, so, so there, these two things happen publicly. And I've had people say, the reason why it's allowed, I saw two things. And I watched you and your wife. I saw two things. And that's when I knew it was the real deal because I watched y'all suffer. I watched you be persecuted and I watched the response and that drew me to Christ. I mean, I know we wish it didn't work. I, I think we all wish it didn't work, but it does because I think, I think this, you know, watching all of us praise the Lord when everything's going our way, there's nothing wrong with that. And he should be, we should give him great gratitude when that happens. We got another good report on Bubba that his cancer is still in remission today, and it would be wrong not to praise God for that. But, you know, I praised him just as hard when my son died, and I prayed just as hard for him to live. You know, some, sometimes you pray, and God always gives you the answer, and sometimes it's the one you want, and sometimes it's the one he prefers for him to be glorified and for our own good. So he says... To them now, and this is one thing that you have to know. Everybody know this. Pastors, I know in here we got pastors that that, that are with this, but it, it goes to all of us that are inside his church. Satan hates the church. He hates it. And he'll do anything he can to upend the church. And God will allow us to suffer so that we may be tested and to purify his church. Peter talks about this. Remember the first letter, we studied this in here, but some of you may not have been in here. The first letter that Peter writes, remember, is for persecution outside the church. The second one is persecution from within the church, which is false doctrine. But remember 1 Peter 6 and 7, he's talking to the persecution of Nero at this time. And he's, man, he's got brothers and sisters that are being killed by the day. So, you know, Nero went, he was a wacky guy, man. He went way off the rails. He was bloodthirsty. So anyway, so he says to them, them in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1, In this you rejoice. Polycarp, he's rejoicing. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, and here's the two words we don't like, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Here it comes again, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that will perish though it is tested by fire. You know how gold will melt, but not our faith. May your faith be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter says? If God finds our suffering right now necessary, rejoice. Our faith's being tested. Let's don't let him down. 
let's don't fail him. Let's don't embarrass him. That's one of the things that, that, I, that I, I pray anytime I'm going through difficulty. Lord, give me the strength that I won't embarrass you. Don't let me act like people who have no hope. God will permit us to suffer, permit us to suffer so that we will be tested. And don't forget the 10 days. You know, whatever suffering you may be going through out there in here, God knows when, it, when it's going to end. He, he, it might be 10 days. might be 10 years. might be 20 years. But know that he will decide when it ends. The church became stronger than ever. Tertullian had a great statement. Isn't this true? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You think think everybody didn't go all in who were under the authority of Polycarp? What do you think you could do with his congregation? They're all in because of his example. That's what you call leading. I will allow, I, I will celebrate me being sacrificed for your good. Who does that sound like? Jesus, who is our Lord. So when we get through this, I think that in our own Western church, I think the latest test that we've seen was the pandemic. And I'm not sure we passed. There's been a lot of people that because of the church not meeting, they never came back. People should have made their own decisions. But the church attendance after the pandemic is down. Now, the good news is on that, it could just be a purging. These may be people that didn't need to be in the church anyway. The church may be more pure now. So you see that. The pandemic also refined the church and purified the church. But for many people, the pandemic was a test that they did not pass. And, and, and the church is sitting now post-pandemic, in my opinion, stronger than ever. Stronger than ever. And, and you, you see that. But, but you know, remember what, what John told us. He said, those that have had this falling away, you're all concerned about them, they never were one of us. But, but, but th- th- those that, that stood firm and, and stood against the government who tried to tell the church what they, you know, God's blessed this country. In this country, our founding fathers set it up that the government can't tell the church to do anything. Now, they tried, but they can't. The church can willingly say we'll do this, but they can't make you. So that was good for us, that we got to, we got to kind of be tested about where we stand with the government. In our country, I think that was good. So then comes the final triumph that Jesus talks about for those who pass the test. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, this is that Bema seat that, that we talk about, and the crown of life goes to those who endure. There's crowns that will be given to those. You know, there's the judgment seat, which the redeemed will not face, but then there's the Bema seat that even the redeemed will come before Jesus, and he says he will give and take away based on the things you did in the flesh. And so what he is promising to the church at Smyrna and to all, those of you that do not reject me, 
I will give to you the crown of life. If you've been martyred, the crown of life. If you stood tall through persecution, the crown of life. And, of course, we get that great moment where we then take our crowns, and what do we do? We lay them back at his feet. And then he goes on to say, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Wow. We're going to see this show up again, by the way, at the end in Revelation 21. You're, hang on to those who conquer. So being faithful unto death looks like this. Number one, sharing in Christ's cross. Remember he said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and, and, and you might want to write this down. This is right out of Scripture, and we got to be sure we're still teaching and preaching this. Ease and prosperity are nowhere promised for the followers of Christ. No matter how strong your faith is, you should expect persecution. Does that mean that, that, that you can be faithful and get prosperity and get times of ease? Of course you can, but it's not guaranteed. It's no indication about where your faith is. Well, people with more faith don't get persecuted. No, that's not true at all. People who have more faith have ease, and, 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 and they, they have prosperity. No, that's not true at all. That's no indicator of where your faith is. And it's not promised. If you, if you do everything, I have a faith that's going to give me ease and prosperity. That's nowhere promised in Scripture. As a matter of fact, this whole pick up your cross daily thing, everybody toting a cross in the Roman Empire was going to die and suffer. Tell Paul all the things he must suffer for me. You know why that? And you're going, well, Rick, why is that? I'll tell you why. This ain't heaven. It's preparing us for heaven. Too many of us are asking God to give us heaven on earth. This is not heaven. It's a preparation for heaven. And if suffering will, 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 will have more people experience eternity in the presence of God, so be it. If persecution and suffering makes us more devout, so be it. I don't go looking for it, but I understand it. Because you don't want to go looking for it either. Look at, look at Hebrews 11. I love this. This is one of these moments when you look at it Scripture, you go, well, that took a turn. This is where the health, wealth, and prosperity people forget to read on. So this is the Hall of Fame of faith. We're seeing people's faith being rewarded left and right. Okay, So then we get over to 35, and we see a big statement in Hebrews 11. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Wow. Health, wealth, prosperity, miracles, signs, and wonders. But you got to read on. These are also people that are in the Hall of Fame of Faith. You ready for the next group? Some were tortured, refusing, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, underline that, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They didn't get the prosperity and ease on heaven, but they got something better. And their ever bit 
in the Hall of Fame of Faith as women who received uh, their dead back through a miraculous rise from the dead by Jesus? Are those like Abraham, that, that, that his, his descendants and his blessings, no matter how many times he messed up, God continued to bless him after he would correct him. But you know what? Then the writer of Hebrews goes, now there were some that were just sown in two. Think about this. This is where we got to be, and I'll get sharing in Christ. Uh, with, with sharing in Christ also produces, as we said, the crown of life. James one twelve: A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life. That is for martyrs. Matthew five eleven and twelve says the same thing about staying faithful for the crown of life. The overcomer will not be hurt by the second death, Jesus says. It's the assurance of eternal life. Those who unflinchingly face the fire and the foe will have the blessed assurance that the earthly death they are facing is trivial. Let me tell you something. If, if, this is, if, this, if you think this is it, your earthly death is not going to be trivial. It's going to be the end of all hope. Because then it's eternal death, not eternal life. And the overcomer will not be hurt by the second death. The overcomer. The second death is the one to fear. That's what Jesus says. Remember, he told us that. Don't fear those that can destroy the body. You better be afraid of the one that can destroy your soul and your spirit. My Father, your eternal life is much more important. And that's what you need to fear. And the overcomer will not face that terrible second death. If you want to understand, and we'll close with this. <laughs> I love this in Acts 12. So in Acts 12, remember Peter, the one that failed the test the first time. Now he's got the Holy Spirit. He's, he's Pentecost. It's a game changer. He does not fail Jesus anymore. And to show you that he's already been told by Jesus that he will be martyred. Jesus talked to him. They had a discussion about it after he reconciled him. I'll be with you. You're going to be martyred, and I'll be with you. So he doesn't really know when that's coming, but he knows it is. You would think this would be a time of anxiety because he's been jailed along with James, the brother of John. He's been jailed by Herod, and Herod kills James. Now, some of y'all, let's talk about that a minute. What did James do wrong? Nothing. It was just time for him to go. John the Baptist didn't do anything wrong either. Jesus said that. Got his head cut off. It, he was done. Even John the Baptist sent followers and said, hey, man, should we be looking for someone else? No. Go tell John that everything that should be happening is happening. He did his job. So no going to get him? No. His reward's in heaven. So John's going to get his head cut off. That is correct. Why? It's time. So James doesn't make it. Herod kills James. Well, if you're Peter, aren't you thinking you're next? When they go to get Peter, guess where he is? Asleep. He's fallen asleep between two guards. Now we know that Jesus lets Peter out. He didn't let James out. He let Peter out. Did James have more faith than Peter? There's no indication of that. Did, did Peter have more faith than James? There's no indication of that. 
It's just God had a plan for one that was over. And really, as Paul said to the church at Philippi, the ones that got to go ahead and go really are the ones that they have it made. I'd rather go too. But if he wants me to stay here for your benefit, then I will, because to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the way we should live our lives. Not anxious and terrified of difficulty because of our devotion to Christ, understanding that's part of it, and to be like Peter, who's in a jail. And it's not like you're in jail, you don't know what's going to happen. It'd be like you being in jail and go, hey, what happened to Burgess? Oh, they killed him. Isn't that who you were with? Yeah, I was, I was out preaching with Burgess. Well, they killed him. Would you go to sleep? All right, well, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. Peter's not sitting there afraid of Herod. That doesn't mean Herod's not going to kill him because God may allow Herod to kill him. But he knows who's in charge. It's not Herod. He's sleeping. And that's how we face trial. Praying for strength. Was Peter doing that? No. Was he pacing the floor, not sleeping? Mm -mm. Was he more than a conqueror? You better believe it. He had the blessed assurance of eternal life. Death for him and all the redeemed was nothing but a gateway to eternal life. If you can get that right, and I can get that right, we're going to be awful difficult to deal with by the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this incredible message. Thank you for the assurance of eternal life. And thank you, Lord, for knowing even when we're allowed to suffer, we do not suffer alone. You're with us, and you give us strength that we just couldn't produce on our own. Thank you, Lord, for that. It doesn't mean that suffering is, is fun. It doesn't mean that it is desired, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. But what it also doesn't mean is that you've abandoned us. It could just be part of us glorifying you and you deeming us worthy to suffer. May your hand be upon this room, on these men, but also with every man and woman that may be watching and listening around the world, that they hear from you today the assurance of eternal life for all those who are redeemed. And for those who pass the test and conquer, there is no fear of the hurt of the second death. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.